I don't even know how to get started this week. It's um, it's been a very well, strange couple of weeks for me, um, and it's not it doesn't seem to be getting any better uh, <laughs> at all. Um, but uh, we've got some things to, to, to talk about, and we're going to be talking uh, largely about dialogue in this episode because we are at a point where we're writing hey, it. So we're talking about talking. We're talking about talking. We're talking about That's, talking. It's very meta. Facebook would be proud. Super That's, meta. <laughs> 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 we'll get back to this after <laughs> these titles. <laughs> Welcome to Murdering a Podcast, two writers' journey to produce a narrative murder mystery. <laughs> this morning, I... I <laughs> so, Tasha's got a fit of the game, so that's, that's <laughs> next. See you in half an hour, folks. Bye-bye. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what you think you're doing there. That's just... <laughs> it's, it's not going to make not it any I'm better. <laughs> don't laugh. That doesn't help. <laughs> Every time okay, you laugh, good. God kills a kitten. No! Well, it's lucky I don't believe in God then, isn't really? <laughs> Every time you laugh, a fairy uh, dies. Oh, right. Oh, we're good. We're good. I'm going to cut all of this bit out because it doesn't make any sense if you're just listening to it. <laughs> oh, Hello there. Um, the, we have got lots of things to talk about today. Well, today we're really going to be talking about dialogue but because uh, it's what we're both doing at the moment. We're writing scripts and uh, it's mostly writing dialogue. Yeah. So uh, we're, we're, we're talking about that today, but we also wanted to give you a bit of an update on where we are and what we've been doing this morning. Because this morning we went over, was it episode five um, yeah, we did of a your quick script? Read of that of yeah. uh, the curious case files of Kilton Dell, and I can only remember that yeah, because got I've right. got it written in front of me <laughs> on the script. Um, so, okay, well, first of all, tell me about the process. From your point of view, what's that process like when you're hearing, basically you're hearing us two and you're, you're doing voices yourself, reading it back to you? Okay, um, well, I mean, up to the, do you want a bit before that or just just from there? Just but for the for the time being, what what's that process? What does that bit feel like? Because that I mean, that's what we've been been doing. Mm. How's, I mean, how's that? For me, it it, it really it sort of helps me list. Well, it helps me hear um, where there's any sort of inconsistencies. So one of the things mm -hmm. about editing, <laughs> you know, I'm very good at this. Is I'll edit one line and then forget the rest. Script, <laughs> so you'll have a random line, um, and then three lines that make no sense. So that that kind of helps with that, but it also makes sure that the individual character voices are um, very different. It's it's yeah. quite nice to hear it back because then I can sort of um, I can see what jokes are likely to hit. I can see how you know I can hear how they're supposed to be sort of read, um, sort of make corrections in my mind. Um, as we're going along and, and obviously check to make sure that the scenes make sense. Because in my head, I mean, they make that's sense. That's something that's important, <laughs> that in any script that you're writing will have a table read of some description. Because mm. it's much easier to get actors around a table to read something. Uh, it's much cheaper to get actors around a table to read something that is to sort of stage a production of it first. Mm. So, you know, even if you're doing TV, film, whatever, you'll have that table read moment. Um, yeah. But this is almost like a proto-table read, isn't it? This is it before is, yeah. you get to that level we haven't got anybody 
cast for this. We haven't got any mi- anybody in mind for uh, for particular people, um, unless you know. At some point, we will find people and go, "Oh, they'd be perfect in this role. Let's let them do it." Um, but but for now, it's just a chance to kind of get that that done. What? Because I know what it's like when I was a when I was a comedian and when I was standing on stage and when you would say something and then there would be sort of dead silence. Yeah, that's awful. <laughs> that's a horrible feeling. Like when I, I, I would apologise because it often comes from me because I've n- I don't when I'm listening to stuff like that, I'm always thinking about it analytically. I'm not sort of mm. experiencing it, so I don't go, "Oh, this is a funny light because it doesn't click like that. But but. I mean, that must happen a lot because we're all trying to read it at the same time and we're all trying to, you know, um, how is that for you as someone who hasn't dealt with it a lot, I suppose? Well, we, I do because it's it's something that I've had to do since I started writing. So um, when I first started sort of originally doing the live shows, um, we would do the table reads um, and... Reading with, again, a lot of the humour that I write tends to be on how you say it, the timing. It's a lot of it's very, very sarcastic. So if you get the tone or the pitch wrong, the the, the joke won't land. Um, so mm-hmm. I, I am kind of, like I said, I am kind, I am used to doing that. It, it Although when the first time we you know when when it when it's first done and you you start doing the script and you're laughing to yourself and everybody else is just sitting there going nope <laughs> you're like bollocks i've got to write it all again um because it's, but, it's difficult to know how an audience is well how specific audiences are going to respond to something because uh, i mean you I, again even with comedy you can do a, a night one night and you can absolutely kill it and then the next night you can yeah. go on stage and not get a single laugh uh, I've and, had that. and when it's it's when you can do that with such a um a, such a niche thing i still think the stand-up comedy live stand-up comedy is actually a pretty niche thing uh then doing it with with something which is a wider audience to begin with i think is even more mm. difficult to to kind of get that stuff right well, Eddie Izzard's got a, a great way of dealing with that, hasn't she? So she, when she's doing her um, stand-up, if she doesn't get the laugh she's expecting, she'll say, right, mental note, get a, and then pretend to write something and this joke doesn't work. And I think a and lot then, of comedians that, do the same thing. In fact, yeah. um, if you are aware of Edinburgh, okay, so if you're doing comedy at all, Edinburgh is the big thing. It's where all of the TV execs will go to try and find the next comedy thing it's also where most people take their shows if they if they're serious about doing stand-up and it's also where most stand-ups end up going this isn't the career for me the ones that 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 leave it's because of something like edinburgh because it's such a big thing um uh, and before they do that they will do a load of preview shows they will do as many shows as they can around the the place to make sure the material is good because if you if it's not good by the time you get there you're in trouble. Um, so they'll do places like, uh, uh, you know, well, the, the the normal clubs, but they'll do venues like McCuntleth, which is a big. Comedy. <laughs> Sorry, it's a it's a <laughs> it's a big comedy one in Wales. It's an actual. We actually drove past it the other week because because uh, I was in Wales. I love the other Wales week. so much. They've got some brilliant names. <laughs> Um, yeah, but they've got a big comedy uh, thing there, and a, and a lot of people go there 
and do the preview from their show. But even then, they'll make sure they've worked it to a certain point before they, they get it. We don't I'll, really have that um, that ability with what we're doing because no. we're, we've just got the audience that we're in front of. And then we, when we release it to the world, that's it. Yeah. Although I'll tell you something that did put me off a little bit the first time I ever took one of my scripts to the stage. And I'd written it and I thought, oh, yeah, you know, I've got a couple of funny jokes in there. I'll get a couple of laughs, but it's, it, you know, it's it was supposed to be quite a serious <laughs> script. And... When this, when people started speaking and, I, and, and you know started saying their lines, and the audience actually just started laughing at things that I didn't think, I just hadn't clicked that they were funny. But when they started laughing, like I yeah. think half the yeah. cast <laughs> nearly corpsed because they because they weren't in, expecting in, it. They weren't. None of us were expecting it. We all thought it was a dead serious line. And the problem is, and I think we found this with viral murders is. The way I write the comedy is the more seriously you say it and the more that you know, the more seriously you, you you speak these lines and the more seriously you take the script, the funnier it becomes. This and is so often when true. when this is when true. it is, yeah. And then when when it when it then comes back and you listen, you know, especially when you're doing it live, it's not so much when you're doing podcasts, but you do it live and then people just fall about. You're like, oh, so that was funny then. Um I did one because we. It's I that do... moment when you hear, and I mean, again, it, it, experience with comedy is if some, if people laugh and you're not expecting it, the first thing you do is check your flies. Yeah. That's, <laughs> well, I, I check my boobs are is. in. <laughs> but I, I remember doing. We did a play called Once a Catholic at college, and even though I could read it and I could understand where the jokes were meant to be, they never landed in rehearsal. Yeah. But the audiences that went to see the show really loved it. I've had that. that is, that's such a weird feeling as well, because you're doing rehearsal and you're thinking, this isn't funny. <laughs> like, I'm going to be slaughtered on stage. And then you go up and then the audience are laughing. You're like, oh, thank God. <laughs> <laughs> I, I remember um, one of the girls had come up to me at one point and said, oh, my dad's in tonight. Um, he's really going to enjoy it because he likes your sort of comedy. And I, I thought that was such a weird thing to say mm. because it's such a, yeah, I, I, it was, it just felt like a weird moment where you're delineating something that I think actually most people would find funny by, but this is a you thing rather than a, than a, than a, a kind of a, a group thing that people kind of enjoy. Um, yeah. it's, uh, yeah, it, it's a, weird to start thinking about things like that I think in that that way when you're writing dialogue I don't know about you but when I you know where do you start really how do you know what your characters are going to say uh I mean first of all everyone says it comes from the character so I I think it really in in that respect it really means that the uh, if you say something as a joke but it doesn't fit the voice of the character then really just get rid of it because it's you know you might be able to use it with a different character somewhere but actually um if that character won't say it it's not going to feel genuine and and ultimately what you need to do with with any dialogue is is legitimize it i suppose um Mm. so if you think of anything that you write initially is illegitimate in that it doesn't necessarily fit in with with uh with the character if you haven't sort of 
really mapped out who the character is and, and what they will say and what they do. And the editing process tends to be the thing that gives it the legitimacy. It tends to be the moment yeah. where you go, oh, okay, they might not say this, but they might say it like that instead. Yeah. You know? Um, so, I mean, I always tend to do the voices as we're going through. I do. Um, <laughs> but I think that's because of where we started. You know, we both started in scripting and in dialogue writing rather than prose yeah. um i i know other writers who just write who don't think like that who have voices in their head but my voices come out of my mouth yeah mine do <laughs> and many of them are the, are the same but yeah. the, the, the distinction i know the distinction in my head yes whereas yeah vocally they might they might all be sort of the same if i've got that sort of gruff character like i've got with um with Windsor, that, that kind of, I, you could write about four characters that, that work like that, but uh, but they, they if they're distinct enough in your head just to give them a reason to exist, then they'll feel real. They'll feel you know better when you when you start to to write them. But yeah, that okay. starting point is is an odd thing. What about you? Where do you start? Um, well, that, that's the, that, I think that's the hardest part. <laughs> um. I tend to just write something. So um, once I've got, so I'll, I'll once I've got my my sort of basic storyline, I will usually grab a notepad and pen. Um, I start with the character that I know best, which is going to be the de the detective in in mine, which is is Max Powers. I've been writing her for a few years now, and I've been playing her as well. So I really, really know her quite well. So I know what her voice is. I know exactly what she's going to say in every situation. Mm -hmm. um, I make the joke and say, oh, she's just my online version of me brought to life. But, um, but yeah, so I tend to write with a, start with a character that I know yeah. dealing with another character who is very different to them. And then I start with that. So I'll start with sort of bits of dialogue. And then, which is one of the things I like about uh, the, 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 writing software that we use fade in is that i can write all the scenes out of order <laughs> and then i can go back and, and then, then move it all around yeah, yeah. That, is, that is really quite nice um, really so if nice. i know that i've got sort of the final scene i think with this one that we just read scene five the final scene was really clear in my head um i knew what i wanted to do with it and it was it was this the one particular joke where she pushes the guy out the window and it doesn't sound very funny but when you read it, it is <laughs> i promise <laughs> um and it's what she says as she does it that's that's quite funny and i i knew that i wanted i had that scene in my head so i wrote that scene first which then set the tone for the whole sort of script and then i kind of Sort of, sort of, I skeleton the the dialogue, so they all sound the same when I first write, um, just so that I know roughly what yeah. they're gonna, you know, roughly <laughs> yeah. what they're gonna say and and what information they're gonna deliver, and then when I go back, because I write with my what is it? Write with your heart, edit with your head, um, and then when I, I go back, pen. <laughs> keyboard really usually keyboard, yes, keyboard and the it's difficult to get lead out of the keyboard. That's, it really is. Yeah. I What I do, right, is I reach into my chest and I pull out my heart <laughs> and then I slop it onto the keyboard, right, and it just it grows hands and it starts typing. Um, weird conversations that writers have. And then... <laughs> um, but, yeah, so, no, I, I, I tend to sort of... The, when I when I start, it literally is usually just a, a, a small amount of dialogue that I'll have for that whole 
thing and then I'll centre the whole um, script around that. I'll, I usually start with a, a psychometric <laughs> profile of my character. I'm a nerd. A psychometric profile of my character. That, that, that's so much further than I've ever do mm, I, I had i had i've got in in um, my episode two i've got somebody who's a, a gamekeeper um called norman conquest and that's that's it he's that's he's a gamekeeper so he, he's talks like that and he has that sort of absolutely right because that's you, what gamekeepers sound like that's don't you find though that the name helps that once you've got your character no i came name, up with the name afterwards did you <laughs> yes See, again i find the name helps so once i've got that name and i'll think of the silliest name i can think of that really helps me figure out who it is so like poppy cox one of our characters the name tells me that she talks shite all the time <laughs> like, <laughs> you know um Max Powers thinks a lot of herself because that this, name. This is the down market version of what J.K. Rowling does with names. We're we're, we're basically we're scraping, we're scraping the bottom of that barrel. I think we were saying. I said about sort of starting with names and and trying to find a silly name and then using yeah. that name. To... So I do that the other way round. Really, that I I will. I will have a character that I need to have. So in this one. Um, uh, Peregrine and Windsor have gone to a swamp and the swamp gases have knocked them out. And so there needs to be a way for them to wake up again. And so I've, I've written in this sort of gamekeeper type guy yeah. who uh, can take them back to his house. So it changes the scene. So that means they don't have to wake up in the same place. That gives us a bit more, more movement. And he can tell a bit more about the story, in, which in this instance is that they've been, uh, there's a, a swamp, creature there's a creature in the swamp and because of that a factory that's built nearby uh all of the workers are just deciding to come out on strike so i i need to get that information across and i need to sort of expand on that story so i have a uh, peregrine saying um uh, i heard the workers are unhappy and then normally said, they're threatening to strike there's a meeting uh, tonight with the needle workers and milliners they've already come out and peregrine then says so they're coming apart at the seams but <laughs> you waited until I <laughs> I forgot my vape pen. He does this, right? He did it earlier. Today. He waits. I always have a cup of tea, and I use my vape pen when I'm because I don't like smoking cigarettes in my living room because I've got cats. So he waits until I've either taken a big gulp of my tea or I've got just taken a big drag of my my vape pen, and then he'll say something funny. <laughs> I should point out that I often say things that are funny, and the two does, conjunctions happening at the same time were bound to happen. You know. <laughs> <I> just, <laughs> um, yeah, but the, so, so that exchange it lets you it reinforces that whole idea that the workers are coming out on strike. So you know uh, that the that there is a reason for it. We get a little bit more information uh from the games keeper and then windsor who is with mrs conquest oh, my brain is... just went <laughs> the workers are revolting yeah i know they haven't watched yeah, in but, weeks but, but that's just too we can't old that's use old carry on jokes one. yeah i know well, we, but it's so we good. can and we probably have but we shouldn't we, we use do. old we will <laughs> so. <laughs> um so yeah but it but then gives you know windsor and mrs conquest who are talking as well and they're talking about something else and peregrine interrupts when when he comes in but again each line can then feed into that story it can then give you a little bit more information about that but of course you've got to 
for what I'm doing anyway, you've got to build the jokes in as well. So you mm. you have to kind of temper the two and then make a kind of a balance. Very, I was going to say it's very difficult, but it's not difficult. It's just time consuming. Because this is one of the things I do want to ask actually about about how acting helps with writing. But I just wanted to sort of before we go on to that, because we've said this before in terms of how we sort of write, you know, put in our comedy into the scripts, because you will work in the jokes into the scripts, whereas I tend to not have as many jokes i'll put a few in. well you help me put a few in mine tends to be interactory comedy interaction comedy so it tends to be the way people react to somebody else tends to be but i think that's my normal sort I of think state that, that you will, because i because i know you haven't written comedy as a thing you haven't sat down and write, right i'm going to write a comedy yeah um and i'm not and intentionally I have, funny and that's the difference <laughs> uh, but you will find as you go on that the jokes that you're doing right now are stuff that you will suddenly go actually if i do this as well i can i can mold it a bit but i can do something else a little bit more yeah. and it just comes with having told the same jokes time and time again in different ways and trying to find another way of doing something similar that's all it is yeah. uh but the, the one of the best things that you can do with dialogue i think is in joke well comedic dialogue is where you've got two people talking over one another just purely yeah. because you're getting you're getting the information in you're getting the joke in and you're getting that conflict in which you always need conflict no matter what you're doing it's always it's already in there because i like cross-purpose conversations where purposely misunderstand each other and it just goes horribly wrong um yeah that and i like it when you've got sort of two people having a very serious conversation in the foreground and you've got two people like misunderstanding everything that's happening and yeah yeah so like like i said i mean i'm i don't I'm not very good at intentional comedy. <laughs> um, when I try to be funny, nobody laughs. But like when I just speak, people laugh all the time. All I have to do is walk in a room and people piss themselves laughing. I'm fucking hilarious. <laughs> but like, you know, I've been told a couple of times that just generally when I, you know, the what other people find funny about me as a person is how I react to situations um, rather than trying to sort of joke. Whereas you're actually very, very good at purposefully being comedy, being funny, and you have incidental comedy as well. Sure, um, but I mean, it's all just playing around with language at the end of the day, and it's mm. how far along that, that road you want to go. And some people will go, but what I want to do is I want to get this idea or this this story or whatever across and that's my goal and other people will go well I, I i want to make people laugh and that's my goal and it's really it's all about how you want to approach this thing in the mm. first place because the more that you go i want to make people laugh the more you'll try and find reasons for them to laugh in the first place and the, except you know, when i tell a joke because if i tell a joke <laughs> you forget the punchline go on try and tell a joke Oh God! All right, black and white knight yeah. on a black and white horse. Right, have you heard that one? No, so, I don't think I have. Okay, so there was there's once this black. I'm gonna fuck this up. I really am. So there was this black and white knight on a black and white horse, uh, and he heard this call from the king from the king in the kingdom, and he went over, and the king's like, my my daughter, she's been kidnapped. I need. I need someone to go and get it. And the black and white knight and the black and white horse said, I shall go and save her. I am the black and white knight on the black and white horse. And the king went, oh, the black and white knight on the black and white horse. He said, yes, the black and white knight on the black and white horse. He went, oh my goodness, the black and white knight on the black and white horse. Go and save my daughter. And he went, I shall save your daughter. Anyway, black and white knight on the black and white horse gallops off into the distance. 
And he comes across um, a pixie and the pixie says, who are you? And the black and white knight on the black and white horse says, I'm the black and white knight on the black and white horse. And the pixie says, the black and white knight on the black and white horse. And he said, yes, the black and white knight on the black and white horse. He said, I'm here to rescue a princess. And then and the pixie says, oh, the princess is over there. So he carries on and then he comes across um, a, a, a goblin and the goblin says, oh my God, who are you? And he says, I'm the black and white knight on the black and white horse. And the goblin says, what? The black and white knight on the black and white horse? He said, yeah, the black and white knight on the black and white horse. And he said, not the black and white knight on the black and white horse. He said, yes, the black and white knight on the black and white horse. I'm here to save the princess. And he says, right, go that way. So he carries on. And then he comes across um, uh, uh, another bad guy. <laughs> so he does this for a while and all the bad guys are <gasps> like this. And anyway, he gets to the dragon where the where the princess is and he says i'm the black and white knight on the black and white horse and the dragon says who the other thing that you need to learn in comedy is brevity (laughs) see i cannot be funny on purpose You know what? I can't tell you where you messed up with that at all because it, the it was fine, but I yeah. I <laughs> ran out. Of, I I got to Goblin, and there should have yeah. been several other things happening, <laughs> like the unicorn or something. And I just went, and then other things happened. because <laughs> it's supposed to go on for ages and ages and ages, and then he goes, "Who?" But I I every time it's, that's. It's like that joke about the. Did you hear about the, 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 the? I might have told you this before. It's about an angel, and he's um, he's a newly made angel, and because he's just been made an angel, they can let him go back down to earth uh, just for one day, just to visit his um, his uh, his family, and you know to be able to to say goodbye because you know somebody up there watched Carousel too much when they were were younger, um, <laughs> and. They, they say, okay, well, look, we're, we're going to let you go back down and you can help sort out your family's problems and stuff, but you must make sure you've got three things to remember. You've got, you've got your harp, you've got your halo, and you've got your wings. Never let them out of your sight because if you don't have those three things, you're never going to get back into heaven. And then and St. Peter says, do you know where you're going? And he says, yeah, I'm going to visit my old friend. I'm going to visit my old friend, Sam Frank. He's got a new club that's open. It's not doing very well. I'm going to go and give him a hand. I'm going to make sure that his business goes absolutely, absolutely skyrocket. So, so the guy go, goes down to, um, uh, to to the earth, and he goes to his friend Sam Frank. I, 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 you don't know me because, of course, you know that's how the the whole angel thing works. Is if you go back down to earth, nobody knows who you are. It's you know you might as well be Avon calling, but or Avalon calling. I don't know. <laughs> quite how that works um so yeah and he goes, he goes oh, right i i i've i'm gonna help you i'm gonna help you open your business and and they do and the two of them work together and over a period of time they build up up this business and the angel uh realizes that actually quite likes it and he spends all of his time in the club and he's not being very angelic at all uh, and so finally st peter uh, sends a message to him and said no, look look it's time to come back up to heaven you've spent a long time down here having fun and and, and dancing all, all the time and so begrudgingly the guy who is now an angel goes back up to heaven 
And they say, have you got all of your stuff? Have you got your halo? And he's going, I've got my halo. Have you got your wings? And go, I've got my wings. Have you got your harp? And he goes, oh, my no, no, I've left my harp in Sam Frank's disco. <laughs> Brevity is the... <laughs> it's not a good joke, but uh, no. I quite like it. I like, I like puns. You've got and to chuckle. Ends, ends on a pun. It's, it's quite nice. Um, but I but, got a couple of other laughs through that as well. Yes, you did. Um, but yeah, I mean... I, that was a very badly told joke as well. I do apologise. <laughs> <laughs> we can be funny, honest. <laughs> um, occasionally, allegedly, but I, I dispute those allegations. Um, but yeah, as a, as a writer, I, I certainly find that having done acting experience um, and worked as an actor really, really helps with dialogue because it means I've A, read a lot of scripts um, and I regularly do table reads of, of different, lots and lots of different types of scripts. You'd have done a at least a bit, if not a fair amount of improvisation when we were at college. Oh well. God, that, that's what I specialised in when I went to uni. So, so th this is one of those skills that if you can, if you can go and, and I know they do it a lot in, uh, in America where it's the, the, the whole idea is yes. And, but I yeah. don't really like that particular way. I think it's, it's always more fun to sort of throw in some sort of conflict in there and, and go, no, you're completely wrong, but, you know, but, you know, drive it forward in a different way. But then... I'd, I'd say that's advanced improvisation I, I when, you get to, when you get to sure that. It I think it's just bloody mindedness. Well, fair. yeah, okay, stop it. <laughs> I could guess. <laughs> but it really does help that, that whole experience of being able to start to think on your feet Mm. Um, and start to just respond to a random thing that's coming back at you. That really does help when you actually end up sort of sitting down to write as well. Oh, it does, yeah. I mean, I, I do love improv um, because you can really get it to go some strange places. Um, but, yeah, I mean, again, it also helps with things like getting the character voices as you're reading it because – um, you know, one of my, I've, I, having recently discovered voice acting, I like the fact that I can hide behind a microphone, um, <laughs> and just, just play with, play with voices and stuff. So, you know, and, 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 but I, I know that when I'm writing my scripts and I'm reading them back and I'm trying to get those individual voices, which I think we discovered, we discussed in episode eight, you said, um, I think we've, we've talked about dialogue before in episode eight and about mm, sort of crafting when it's sort dialogue. Of, yeah. And into sort of how to make it unique and stuff. Yeah. Um, and that's where sort of my psychosymmetric sort of profile comes in. Um, and looking at speech patterns and things. Um, I'm current, like I said, I'm, I'm currently reading up on linguistics just because, um, I'm really saddened. <laughs> um, so, well, linguistics but, is a pretty interesting topic, actually. Oh, it's so, I, I can understand why it's the sort of thing that you get completely engrossed in. Oh, it in is in the same and, way that you're reading alchemy at the moment as well, aren't you? Yeah. Oh, it's so good. <laughs> so, for I'm those of you who don't know, alcohol, 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 <laughs> alcohol gets you drunk. That was a Freudian slip if ever I heard one. Um, <laughs> Uh, I don't even drink. Where did that come from? Uh, I don't need to do I. I don't need is, to. I'd be dangerous if I was drunk. Alchemy is a book by a guy called Rory Sutherland, who is um, a. Uh, he works at Ogilvy Consulting and is 
I suppose War of you the Worlds. Every them... time you say that, I think of War of the Worlds. Because of, of Ogilvy, yeah. yeah. Most people think of adverts. <laughs> but I think of War of the Worlds. Anyway, that's where he worked. And he's he's uh, into behavioural economics, which is that nudge theory thing, that thing that, that governments do to make you do things, and that supermarkets do to make you buy products and, and things, you know, by putting things in the right place. Or um, they, they talk about the uh, the advancement of... Uh, not the advancement, the, the um, overabundance of choice being a bad thing because if you've got mm. so many things to choose from, you you don't choose anything. But if you've got one or two choices, then you'll just choose one thing, which is better for you. Um, and uh, there's some fantastic research. I'm a bit of obsessed with behavioral economics. Uh, there's some fantastic research about um, uh, Starbucks. And at Starbucks, you can have, I think it's something like 18,000 combinations of drink, and I might have got that too low. But you don't realize that you're choosing from 18,000 combinations of drink because you're just doing it in stages. You're just going, oh, well, I want this sort of drink. And then I want that with that, with this sort of thing. And that's my order. Yeah. And that's it. You don't realize then that, that, that somebody else can come in and order essentially the same thing, but with one change. And that's another thing. And those changes add up really, really quickly. Unless you're, you're me and you only drink breakfast tea. that's literally all i drink um varieties of breakfast tea but like just breakfast tea (laughs) and starbucks (laughs) don't do very nice breakfast tea um i like the other one that does does uh what's the other one oh the one with the bean yeah that's the one i prefer their tea the three bean well i did the three bean cafe i i haven't been into starbucks since I was out of town and there was only a Starbucks. Because in Gloucester, Cheltenham, there's two Costas, I think, in in Cheltenham. And then there's another couple in Gloucester. (laughs) It's easier. It's just easier. Everywhere where you go to a a garage or something, if you're on the road and you're filling up, everywhere there's there's a, a Costa machine. Only a few places, a select places. But it doesn't sell tea. They no, it doesn't. Coffee, which is disgusting living in the UK. I mean, it's I, utterly... It is a thing. Like, that to deprive a, a British yeah. citizen of a cup of tea is utterly horrific. If, if, you're after, if you're after any book recommendations and you want something that accepts the British way of, of life with, with tea, I can mm-hmm. hardly recommend the uh, Chronicles of St Mary's, which starts off with just one damn thing after another, uh, which is all about... Um, People who aren't time travellers, uh, they are uh, historians working in contemporary time instead. Oh. But, uh, <laughs> well, no, they're basically... Is that they're the one travelers. that you got me? I got, that... Yes, I've got you, Anna yeah. Vadney. Anna Vadney's gone off and read the rest of the series. I'm reading the latest one at the moment, which I started and stopped and then I've started again. And it's... Such See, I've got four theory. books on the go at the moment, so I'm I'm kind of I'm 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 trying to get through my book collection, and I've got if four we books on ever, the go. Ever ever get a budget to make a feature film, mm. and I I would hope that Jodie Taylor is is listening. I have no idea why she wouldn't. Um, we listen to two random people on the internet. Uh, if we have <laughs> ever got the the budget to make a feature film, that is the film I would like to make. I think it's mm. such a wonderful, wonderful universe, and such a great lead character in in uh, Mac who um, is... Hey, my character's name! <laughs> uh, yeah, funnily, uh, f- funnily enough, yes. Um, and uh, you, you should go and read it. Cause it's, 
<laughs> I will. Well, like I said, I've got four books on the go. I'm listening to Alchemy, <laughs> um, which honestly, if it, it is really fascinating. And the thing is, once you start, once you see it, you can't unsee it. Yeah. So once you yeah. start seeing the sort of the nudging that companies do, and you you see it all the time on social media. Mm. Um, and you and you start sort of backtracking going oh i see how that you know all the times where you go how the bloody hell did that happen like how did trump get into america you know um well not into america how did he become president you, you kind of see it all in the nudging and you kind of go ah um there's, there's lots of things that happen along those lines the, the, the and again it's politics is something that i've always been kind of interested in the kind of the, the meta-analysis of politics and, and stuff which is um as as wide and as varied as as yes minister um mm. and then going into some quite heavy uh reading on why certain See, wars I just happened like and things like that people it's... online about politics otherwise otherwise the only thing, thing i, I don't take an interest like. is when they take my rights away and that's it you, know? <laughs> you see that's the thing i don't like talking to people online because they're often they're, um, misinformed or ill-informed and uh, you know there's no real backwards and forwards you can have with somebody yeah. you know you can't say to somebody ah but go and read ptolemy because uh, it's going to show you this or go and you know uh learn about the the um uh one of the first battalions in the, was it the second or the first world war first world war didn't go to germany at all it went to afghanistan um because i didn't know that. because of oil oh well, what there a shock <laughs> um. <laughs> so yeah but you don't hear, hear about those things so you're right though when it yeah. when it comes to to sort of just you know i mean here's here's the thing i mean when it comes to writing any experience you can get is is always is going to help um i honestly sometimes i use <laughs> i use online idiots and when i talk about idiots online i'm talking about people who sit there and go i believe that the sun is um, you know, circling around the moon and that the earth is flat kind of level of idiot. Um, and I probably shouldn't call them idiots, but I'm going to. And like, or when I'm, you know, when I'm talking to somebody who just doesn't want to listen or who's so entrenched in their confirmation bias um, and they haven't got a bloody clue what they're talking about and they get, they always get very angry and they always start to insult. And then I use that as practice for funny comebacks and I use them. And anytime they insult me, I, I will actively go, well, I'll score them. And I'll be like, well, that's two out of 10 for creativity. If you're going to insult me, please try and give me creativity, you know, or originality because I'm looking for ideas for my script. <laughs> But yeah, again, I, I think I that, that, that is one of the things about writing that you tend to find that writers are well-read just because they're looking for ideas and they'll mm. go down rabbit holes and, and find and it. Oh, and it's, again, hole. that's a learnt response. That's not something mm. that you have to do to be a writer. It's something that you do just because you're a writer. You'll end up doing. Mm. Um, and I, I, so one of the things, I don't want to sort of convey a message that writers are certain types of people and can only be that. That's why. Yeah, I don't. Yeah. I, I. If someone's listening to this and they're new to it, and go, well, why do I start? I don't want them to think that they can't, because actually you can. Uh, but these, a lot of what happens when you are writing for long periods of time is you'll just change the way that you do things, yeah. because you've realised that actually there's something. Oh well, this thing works for me, so I'm going to go and and read this newspaper every morning because it's the thing that gets me angry enough to go and have an idea somewhere else or something yeah. something like that and there's there's the, the there's a trope that you see a lot in 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 films and in it the, the thing is it's funny because it's true in the writers when you read when you're writing something when you first start 
and you start you start writing something you don't do as much research but as you start getting into writing you you start learning about the researching side of things and if i'm writing about um like what writing murder mysteries i ended up re- researching forensics uh, blood spatter <laughs> the decay of dead bodies um and forensic psychology just because i needed to know that information mm. so if someone if you ever turn around to somebody and you say what are your qualifications and they say i'm a writer and i wrote about it <laughs> trust me when i say probably, they, yeah, have, they probably know a lot they yeah. probably know a considerable amount because Poets, they on the other hand make everything up that's yeah, just do. that's the way yeah. it works and I, um, I write poetry i just make everything up i, I, I remember <laughs> i remember doing my first the first book that i was paid for as me which I've, which has never been published anywhere, but I've been paid for it. So that's great. Um, was called Will Shakespeare Superhero, and in order to do that, because it was set in Victorian, so sorry, in Elizabethan England, um, I had to learn about all the torture things that happened in the Tower of London, and spent, yeah. I suppose, probably about a week, kind of immersed into these old reports of what had been happening in the tower and how people were dying, and uh, you know, it, it's horrible. But you need to know it because if you're going to write about that area, you need to know the stuff that's going to happen. Well, we did it when we did uh, Big Girls, Big Bo- uh, Big Girls Don't Cry, sorry, mm-hmm. um, which was set in the 1920s. So we were lucky enough to have somebody on our team who um, had done sort of history as, as part of a qualification that she did. So she was loved researching history so she volunteered to do all the the research for us. I was disappointed on that one. I wanted to do the research, but I was like, yeah, if it saves me a job. Um but she came up with some amazing stuff. And some of the things that we were looking at were things like the language and some of the, ah, oh, the 1920s insults are wonderful. Um, <laughs> and there's some of the language, some of the things like, you know, we had to learn about what technology was available then, what medical things were available then, because a lot of it was, some of it was scripted, but some of it was improvised. Yeah. Um, you know, who were likely to have cars. So one of the characters had bought a new car um, but back in the 1920s, not as many people had them. So that was actually quite a motive for this character or quite proof sure, of this yeah. character's guilt because he suddenly come into money yeah. shortly after somebody had been murdered. <laughs> um, <clears throat> so, you know, you, you do tend to do that. If you ever want someone to do research for you, ask ask a writer because <laughs> they'll research it to the end. Find people degree. who are that, you know, that, that in, interested in stuff to... to be able to do stuff but again you will find that you'll want to do a lot of the research for yourself because there'll be certain things that you're interested in the, the, about that time period so if you're interested in um um the the uh i want to say prorogation as that's not right the, the american prohibition sorry prohibition. that's what i meant if you're interested in that <laughs> there'll, there'll be certain things that you'll be interested in about that and that's what you'll probably want to research and probably want to write about and then as you come up to other blocks like well i don't know how they'd react in these instances then you go and do other researchers you know, well that that brings up actually when you say i don't know how they react in these instances that brings up another another thing that's worth mentioning is uh, is knowing it's being able to have enough to say having enough for your characters to say because you, you're both building character giving plots trying to you know making jokes and and what have you or putting you know whatever you're trying to initiate emotions from your audience whatever that emotion is going to be i mean we've talked about comedy but you might want to get your audience to be angry or to be sad and you know 
one of the things that I struggled with when I first started writing was giving them enough dialogue. I'd get like three lines in and I'm, oh, I've done everything now in that scene, but it was supposed to be a five minute scene. It's now two seconds. And then doing that little bit of research about the time and about the types of things they would know what's going on in that time, you know, um, or sort of having that sort of background knowledge means that then it was easier to write conversations between characters and Mm -hmm. then it was easy you know to put content and and actual proper content substantial content into that into that character where they were you know talking about things that were relevant to the time relevant to the script and relevant to each other um if does that make sense at all it does actually it makes an awful lot of sense i would i would Um, say research is really important for dialogue and for well, just for writing full style. For just, just character, character, characterization thing. Yeah, and understanding what your characters would know. and, and how, that's, a, that's a big part of getting the dialogue right in the first place. Because if you understand that, you can pretty much say anything. Use any line you want because you know how they're going to say it. Yeah. And you know with what voice they will say that in. Which, I mean, don't mean physical voice, but what, you know, um, internal way that they'll say it. Like, um, well, when we talk about voice, we don't necessarily talk about sort of I speak like this or she speaks like that. We're not talking no, about no, that we're not type talking of about accent and, and, and inflection and things. And things you know, we're talking, we're talking about like whether someone says, I see you're upset or I hear you're upset or I feel like you're upset. And those yeah. are the little differences that, that, that change the character. Like, do they, what, what, what adverbs do they use? What, you know, if they're, you know, it's from, do they contract their words? Do they swear? If they don't swear, what do they use in place? Do they use gosh darn? Or do they, you know, do they use harsher words? Or do they use, you know, silly words? And, and knowing all of that about your character and then all of that about how the the, 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 the sort of speech patterns of the time, that's really where, and so, yeah, speech patterns and another thing. Um, what rhythms do your characters speak in? And you should be able to read the characters without changing your voice and still know who's speaking. Mm. If you've mm. done a good job as a writer with your dialogue, that that's how I view it. And that's really sometimes what those little read-throughs that we do gives me. Because um, even when we're... Because uh, we'll be trying to play around with voices so that we can create the characters when we're doing it and, and we have a mess around. And I was desperately trying to do a German earlier and couldn't <laughs> at all. Was, we had every accent. Um, Boris is the, is the, but I think Boris is... I'm, Barry. Barry, sorry. Barry is named Barry. It's one of those days, you know. It is one of them days, um, isn't it? Barry, I'm I'm sort of treating now a bit like Bela Lugosi more than than anything else. So yeah. more the leads into the children of the night. What I they like his yeah, I like that because that, that suits him better. I think. It, it's, yes, it's that. It's the the again. It's classic archetype. So I'm doing there in in acting with inverted commas so large they're standing outside the building right now um with i'm doing with acting what um i've been saying that i do with dialogue as well same same thing it's you you mm. take it the way that you think the character is talking and then you choose an archetype which is close to that that character and then that's your character <laughs> and yeah. you can then you can modify that you can pull that back or push it forward or make it more intense or less intense depending on how uh how you feel it needs to go and uh, what the way that you do that with writing and acting is pretty similar can be pretty similar at least it can be and one of the things again you, you you do you acquire a considerable amount of knowledge as an actor and it's not just about the research that you've done you 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 acquire There's a lot of human behaviorists 
stuff when yeah, you, I was going to say that yeah it, it things it. like I've noticed since since doing sort of becoming a writer and sort of really getting involved um in in that aspect and and starting to sort of write about you know uh, do my sort of like little planning documents and stuff I've noticed that I've got better at understanding human behavior I mean I'm terrible at it normally but since becoming a writer I I can actually you know I've got a really good understanding of human behavior I mean I still shit at social cues but it does <laughs> but I can see behavior patterns I can hear sort of speech patterns I can pick up on a change in someone's speech patterns because that's how my brain you train your brain the brain is beautifully plastic it's not elastic it's a very different thing but it's very beautifully plastic and it it, it your brain will learn and it will adapt. And if you are sort of focusing on making sure that your speech patterns are right and what sounds right on a, you know, when you're writing a script and what sounds natural when you're naturally talking, don't, this is one thing I would say about dialogue, actually. Sorry, I've just kind of, I'm tangent, I'm tangenting here. Can't think of the word. Um, But when you're um, considering about writing dialogue, one of the things I first tried was to try and write natural dialogue, and it just doesn't sound right when you try and do it on a script. It, it's it's very very strange. Natural dialogue and I think there's a reason why a lot of the, the natural dialogue stuff ends up being mostly improvised. Um, yeah, because a lot it, of it's coming from comedians in the first place, isn't it? Yes, yeah. you know. But um, yeah, but beyond that, I think there's, a, there's it doesn't all. Yes, it doesn't work very well when you you try and write it down. It's. Uh, um, yeah, it's awkward. Anyway, we yes. have probably used the time up that we have allotted ourselves for this week. Before we go, I do want to do a, a, a bit of an update onto one of the stories that we had earlier on the podcast. Um, I said I thought there were about 18,000 different flavours in Starbucks. I have looked that up. There is an eight in it, but it's actually 87,000. What the... I know, That's it's crazy, lot. isn't it? That's it's absolutely insane. crazy. But it's that because be they have menu. that branching menu that you can you can do that. And um, when you're a writer, you've got that same branching menu for every single character you make. Noise. That's it for this show. Uh, Come and visit us over at murderingapodcast.com where you can find out all sorts of other information about us and uh, get the show notes for today's show as well. Until next time, thanks. And donate to our Patreon page, please. Sign up to it because you'll get shit. (laughs) Give us lots of money. Uh, We're strong with this one. Uh, (laughs) We'll see you on the next episode, hopefully. Anyway, uh, until then, thanks for listening. Goodbye. That was Murdering a Podcast, and if you'd like to find out more information about the podcast, the Mystery Lounge, or anything mentioned in the show, please head over to murderingapodcast.com. The music was The Secret of Tiki Island by Kevin MacLeod, and the producer was Steve Meller. Until next time, thanks for listening. <laughs>